guys, I am glad you're with us today. Today is Cars 3. Last week, we were going to do Cars 3, but uh, we had a little bit of an issue. And that issue is this. We talked about uh, in Cars 3, the whole movie, if you've seen it, it's about mentorship, it's about discipleship. But as we looked at discipleship, as we looked at the, the idea of what it takes to make a disciple, we had to first talk about what it means to be a disciple. Because if you don't know what a disciple is, it's difficult to make one. So as we began to look last week, we instead took last week and we looked at transformers and how transformation takes place in our lives and how transformation takes place from from the very core of who we are, the heart of who we are. Jesus comes into our life and he transforms our heart. As he transforms our heart, it transforms our mind, it transforms our loves, it transforms our relationships, it transforms our purpose. And that is an expanse that takes place all when Jesus comes into our life to change our hearts. So we talked about that last week, and that's what the discipleship process is in our lives, is we are a disciple. And we looked at Transformers, and we said, this is where we are transformed at. But today, throughout this week, I'll be very honest with you, I didn't finish this message until probably about 10.30 last night. Because there are so many things that I, was, I, I wanted to say, and I wanted to just pray through and say, God, use this message today. Not my message, but your message to change our church. To change the way that we act, to change the way that we live, to change the way that we are in this community, to change all of the things that we can do and how we do it. You know, we are, are here to, to, I hope, have your hearts be awakened. I, I hope you're not just here because Sunday morning is something you had to fill a gap from 9 o'clock to 10.15. But instead, you, you want to hear from God. You want to hear what He has to say. You want to praise and worship Him. You want to see that transformation in your heart and in your mind and in your will. And all of these things take place. And then take that out and put it into action. So what I want to do today is I want to read from you a passage. A passage I read to you last week is found in Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to it. We're going to start in verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up here on the screen. But after we open up to that chapter and after we read that, I just want to pray that God will use it today to change us as individuals and change our church as a body. So let's read it first and then we will pray. Here's what it says starting in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every single person in here. That you, by your grace, would speak to our hearts. That you'd open our hearts. And and, and we pray that you would open our hearts to see the salvation of Christ for the first time today. Maybe people in here don't understand that. Or, Or God, we also pray that you would open our hearts and our lives to our families and our church. However you would use each and every one of us in your mission to change this world. God, we want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I pray that you inspire us today. And we pray it in your name. Amen. This passage that we just read comes at the very end of the book of Matthew. And you know, uh, I've had a lot of opportunity to be able to study the Gospels, and I'm not sure if you've had a chance, but there's four Gospels. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. And each one of those four guys writes from a different perspective. And as they write from those different perspectives, when we look at Matthew, Matthew has a primarily Jewish audience. He was a tax collector, you may know that, his name was Levi, and he was a Jew. And so he had this 
Jewish mentality that he was writing towards. And one of the things he really desperately wanted to get across that people tell me all the time is, is that his book focused on the fact that Jesus is king. And I don't disagree with that. But I think the point of his book was a little bit bigger than Jesus is king. Because if it was just that Jesus is king, he wouldn't have included the last half of chapter 28. Because I think what he wanted to do is he wanted to include the end of the story. Because the end of the story isn't just the fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he's king eternally, but also that we get to be a part of his mission to change the world. And so as we look at that and we see the story continue, you and I are disciples of Jesus the King. When we talked about that discipleship process last week, that it started in Matthew chapter 4 when he called four guys to follow him and, and walk with him. And that, that change took place throughout their lives. And we come to the end of Matthew chapter 28 where he says, those four guys plus seven others are going to go out and they're going to change this world. And they're going to take my mission to the people. But that mission didn't stop with them because it continued. They made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And we're sitting in this room today because of it. And as we look at this, I, I want to show how last week we talked about how it transformed us. But as it transformed us in our hearts, it also transformed our minds and the way that we think differently. And so what we need to do is we need to look at this passage and we need to see how it transforms the way that we think. Because there's people all around the world that know about Jesus, but not everybody around the world knows who Jesus truly is. And the first thing we see in this passage as we look at it, in Matthew 28, verse 19, he uses the word authority. All authority has been given to me. My first question for you as we look at the transformed mind, do you believe, will we believe in the authority of Christ? Will we believe in the authority of Christ? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Lord and Savior? And when I say Lord, is he the one that is in charge? Now that's a question that is heavy and that's a question that we have to dive into. But when you see it, it says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That is a huge, massive statement. I mean, he doesn't start off with, with some, some, some commissioning. That comes next. He starts off with a claim. Guess what? I have all authority in all of heaven and all of earth. Do you believe that? And as you let that soak in, think about this. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, there's a prophecy about this very thing. It says, the Son of Man who is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And his statement says, he is it. This Prophecy back in Daniel, thousands of years before, is being fulfilled right here in Jesus. All authority is given to him. Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth. Do you realize what that means? Do you realize the weight of that statement? Because as we look at it, it means that Jesus has authority over all natures, and he has authority over all nations. He has authority to calm the seas. He has authority over the Jews. He has authority over the Gentiles. He has authority over you and me. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over disease and demons. I mean, stop and think about all the things he has authority over. What's the most important thing is, is he has the authority over death. And that thing that separates us from God. 
He has authority over sin and death. He has authority to forgive the transgressions that we have before God. He has the authority to step into our place. He has the authority to transform our hearts like we talked about last week, which causes us to transform our minds and transform our will and transform our purpose and transform our loves and all the things that it transforms in us. Everything is under his authority, which also includes our lives. Is Jesus the authority of your life? And I ask that because of this. If he is the authority in your life, it means that you have decided to submit to his lordship. See, I I have people always say, well, I've decided to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Well, guess what? Whether you decided or not, he's your Lord and Savior. You don't get to decide. It's whether we submit to that lordship is what we get to decide. Have you made Jesus your Lord? Because today you have a choice. Someday you won't, but you'll still bow your knee. That's what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. And so when I look at that, I think this, when we submit to God, when we submit to Jesus and make him the Lord of our life, and we give him the Lord, basically what we're saying is, Jesus, here's my blank check. Now, some of you guys don't know what a check is. I understand that, okay? But you have a blank check saying, God, you cash this, you write it out however much you want. My life is yours. My life is yours. Not my Sunday morning is yours. Not my Wednesday night is yours. Not my, my life is yours. I am no longer in control. I am not the authority. You have all authority. Do you believe that Christ is the authority? So as we look at that, I I want every believer, I want every follower of Christ, the disciple. That was the definition of a disciple, a follower of a teacher. I want every person to put that blank check on the table and say, God, whatever you want, wherever you're leading me to go, that's where I want to go. Now, can you do that? The answer is yes. Better question is, will you do that? And that's up to you. Will we submit to who Jesus is? Will we submit to him and be ready as you say, God, what do you want me to do for him to give you an answer? Some of you know the answer, and some of you know it's time to act on it. Others, you are afraid to ask the question. But here's the deal. Here's the big thing you need to hold on to. Jesus has authority over our lives. It's not ours to rule. It's not ours to reign. We are to be with him. Don't be afraid to ask the question. See, Jesus, we've trusted him to save us. Can we be trustworthy enough or trust him enough to lead us? I think so. What does it mean to be a follower? It means to give him the lead. Because if you're following, you have to have a leader. And that's why I say we need to go. Because Jesus' authority, it compels us to go. That's why he says we need to go. It compels us to go, to go to our neighbor, to go across the globe. I talked about in the little video there, on August 27th, we have the idea of going local, going statewide, going across the border, and going across the world. In 2017 and 2018, that's going to be a major focus for us. Where would you like to go? Where would God call you to go? Is it to go to just your neighbor across the street? Is it to go across the state to help out with whatever area of the state that is in need? To go across the border to help out an orphanage? To go across the world, wherever God calls. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Are you willing to give up vacation time? Are you willing to give up the money that's going to take? Are you willing to ask for money for people to support you? Are you willing? Are you saying, I am not in control. God, you've called me. I'm going to go. And that's a heavy question. And you say, how? Why? Why would I do that? Let me tell you why. Because Jesus, his worth is the fuel for our mission. Jesus is worthy. Say that with me. 
Jesus is worthy. Is he not worthy? Is he not worthy for us to say, you have died for me, you have saved me from my sins, you have done these things in my life, you are transforming me, and my neighbor needs to know it too, my family member needs to know it too, my, my people across the world need to know it too, and God, you're using me as a tool to make it happen. Are we in that? See, Jesus has authority over all of us. As we go across the street, he's the fuel for our mission. As we go across the world, he's the fuel for our mission. His worth, his worth is in that. Do you realize the reason why you have life is to live for him? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason why you have life is to live for him. When we really stop and think about it, when that transformed purpose that we talked about last week, when that transformed purpose comes together, why do we exist? We exist for his glory and his honor and his worth. We don't exist to just sit in church. We don't exist just to, just to be a part of, of, a, of a fellowship. Those are good things, but that's not why we exist. We're, we're not here to be comfortable. You know, I heard somebody say this last week that, that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, to be our comforter. You know why he sent him to be our comforter? Because we're not supposed to be comfortable on our own. We're supposed to be pushing ourselves and be uncomfortable, and he comes along to comfort us in those situations. But yet we have this striving to be comfortable. We have this striving to live in such a way, this way. But what we are supposed to be doing is living on the front lines in a battle that is raging for men's and women's souls, men and women that you and I both know. His worth is the fuel for our mission, but guess what? His worship is the goal of our mission. His worship is the goal of our mission. When we live every day for the desire to see this world, our world, whether it be your neighbor or the people across the world, when we live for them to meet Jesus, man, that is a huge thing. See, Jesus' authority compels us to go, but his authority also gives us confidence as we go. You know why? If he has authority over everything, what he's saying is, is true. Is it not? Who am I to go tell somebody that they're worshiping a false god and they need to meet Jesus because he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He's the only way to get to heaven. How do I say that unless it's true? How do I say that unless I believe that the authority that Jesus, when he said those words, is true? Because if I don't believe he has authority in my life and I don't believe he has authority to make that statement, then I don't believe it at all. So where are we? See, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people why we would go and share with, with, with a Sikh or a Muslim or whoever it might be that is worshiping a false god. And we look at that and we say, well, what if? What if? There is no what if we believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. We believe the truth. What doesn't make sense is that we don't tell people that. And so we need to go. And as I look at the fact that the gospel is true, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, we need to be telling that to people. But we don't. We don't. And, and I look at the, the truth and the stats and, and all the things that only one out of ten people will ever share their faith. That's a sad reality. Because we have the greatest news that anybody has ever heard sitting in our pocket. Better than even the discovery for cancer. And yet we don't share it with people. Because we're afraid or we don't believe in the authority, or we're afraid they might not believe in the authority, but God is God. Jesus is God. Jesus' authority gives us confidence as we go because we know the gospel will save. 
We know it will. You know how I know it will? Because it saved you and it saved me. That's how I know it will. And I need to be sharing that with other people. Acts tells us that as he ascended up into heaven, we're going through Acts, by the way, men's Bible study. We shifted from Ecclesiastes, so if you didn't like waking up in the morning to go into everything is meaningless, we're going to the book of Acts now. So it is a good thing on Friday morning. If you want to join us, we just started it. Join us. See what the church did at an early stage. See what the church did as Jesus went up and said, guess what? I'm going to give you the power of my Holy Spirit so you guys can be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the othermost parts of the earth. You have the power. Our power is in him, not in us. And we know this gospel will save and his, his Holy Spirit's empowering us to go. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's directing us to go. So I'm asking you this question. Where is he directing you? Who is he directing you towards? He's given us 70, 80 years of life. Some of you more, some of you less. What are we doing with that life? What are we doing with that? And, you know, as we stop and we think about that, he doesn't ask us. He tells us. As a matter of fact, as we go on in that verse, you'll see the next words out of his mouth after he says, all authority has been given to me. He says, go therefore, in light of the fact that I have all authority, go. Wherever it is you are going, Jesus has authority on heaven and in earth. And, and, and as we look at that, we say, it's not just the fact that he's our personal Lord and Savior. He's also the Lord and Savior of all. And we need to be going, and we need to be taking that. So here's the question. Uh, you know, as we look at that word, that word go, therefore, is saying wherever you're going, whether it's going to Walmart or you're going across the street or you're going across the world, wherever you're going, what are you going to do as you go? What are you going to do as you go? The question I asked first was, do you believe in the authority of Christ? Second question I have for you is this. Will you obey the command of Christ? See, it was a command. As we believe in that authority, will we obey the command? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, verse 19 says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, this isn't a comfortable call for Christians to come, be baptized, and sit. This is come, be baptized, be discipled, grow, and go. And continue to make disciples. Be a disciple who makes the disciples. He's not calling us, once again, to be comfortable. He's calling us not to be careful. He's calling us to be dangerous and take a risk and have trust and faith in him that what he's called us to do is what we're supposed to actually do. See, the church, I believe, is filled with people that have been Christians for 5, 10, 15, all the way up to 50 years that don't get it. That don't get what we are supposed to be doing. And we think, well, as long as I'm involved in religious activity, that's okay. As long as I go to church, and maybe as long as I, I even serve in the church, which are good things. But it is not the primary mission. The primary mission is for us to go. You know, it's not one of those things that we, we say, hey, you know, I think I should. It, there's no think in it. See, Jesus' initial introduction last week that we talked about in Matthew chapter 4 was to follow me. And they put down all of their regular lives and they followed him. And as we see that in Matthew 4, it was clear that every follower of Jesus would become a fisher of men. Because that's what he said, I will make you fishers of men. Well, this is the end of that. And he says every disciple will be a disciple maker in Matthew 28. 
This is huge. The disciples make disciples. I asked you last week, at the end of last week, I said, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? Who is the person that is involved in your life mentoring you and who are you mentoring? Who is pouring into you and who are you pouring into? As we look at that, we, we say, what does a Christian do now? I mean, if I asked a Christian, what is a disciple? I'm hoping that you guys could give me the answer if you were here last week. But when we say, what does it look like to make a disciple? I think people will just look at you with a blank stare. Or maybe give you some holy Christian kind of thoughts and extra Christianese words in there to make it sound a little fluffy, but really they don't have any idea. And, and I think to myself, what is it that we need to be doing to make disciples? Well, I think there's four non-negotiable facets. Four parts of a whole that make up us making disciples. And it's all found here in Matthew 28, 19. Here it is. First, we share the word. We share the word. See, I didn't major in English. As a matter of fact, English is my absolute least favorite subject there could ever be. Okay? I hated going through English. Although every language, this is something I learned as I did English and I had to do a little bit of Greek and a little bit of that. There are imperatives. And imperative verbs. And in this statement, there is an imperative verb. And you might be thinking, well, what's an imperative verb, Matt? Well, because I didn't major in English, I had to look it up on Grammarly.com. And this is what it says, all right? It says, imperative verbs are verbs that create an imperative sentence, i.e., a sentence that gives an order or a command. When reading an imperative sentence, it always sounds like the speaker is bossing somebody around. I thought that was great. Imperative verbs don't leave room for questions or discussion, even if the sentence has a polite tone. I thought to myself, there's one imperative in this verse. There's one word that he's bossing us around. And that word, or that phrase, is make disciples. The imperative for each and every one of us is to make disciples. That is what he's telling us to do, to share the word. We share the word. And when we look at that, there's these modified verbs that go around that imperative that, that accentuate that imperative that, 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 that say this is what you do while you're making disciples. It's while you're going, while you're baptizing, and while you're teaching. So what does it mean as we're making disciples? What does it mean to make disciples? It means as you are going, wherever that you are going, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And we teach and we baptize. That is what it means. We share the word. We tell people how they can get saved from their sins because Jesus died on the cross for them. It really is that simple, but yet that difficult at the same time. We speak about the gospel according to the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. You know, we've been looking at buildings, and we've been looking around and trying to, to see where we're supposed to go next. Let me tell you something. As, as we've been looking at buildings, and as a matter of fact, we're going to look at one tomorrow morning. Unfortunately, it's a church that's closing, so it's kind of already set up for us. I hate to say that there's a church closing, but it is, and, and there's an opportunity. So we're going to go look at that. We're going to pray over it. You can pray for us tomorrow morning as we do that. But, but here's the thing that you need to understand. I'm not worried as much about what goes on inside the building as what goes on outside of the building. I'm not saying how many people can we get in here. We're pretty full in here this morning. I'm excited about that. But let me tell you something I'm more excited about. It's how many of you guys are going to get out of here. And you're going to go. And you're going to go and you're going to make disciples. Because it's not about what we do in here. The goal isn't to get every person into our church. The goal is to get everybody out of our church. To go and to share the word. 
That is the goal. So we see that first facet right there to say we're going to take this gospel and we're going to be gospel speaking and we're going to be gospel living and we're going to be gospel sharing with people. So they see it. So we first share the word. Second, we show the word. That's where baptizing comes in. Baptism is a showing of the word. It's a showing of a changed life. If you've ever been to one of our baptism celebrations, I don't like to do it just as a little side note to a service. I want to make it the main focus because there's a life that used to be. He's buried with Jesus in baptism, and he raises to walk in a new life. That is a huge thing. We are showing people the change that has taken place in our lives. And, you know, when we move in that direction, that's why we don't do baby baptisms. We just do baby dedications because they don't have the ability to make that decision to say, I am a follower of Christ. I've been buried with him in baptism, and I raised to walk in a new life. I want to show that. So we move in that direction, and we say, this is what we are doing. And I, I want to tell you, there are some people that I talk to that are like, you know what? I really don't need to get baptized. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It's a part of your testimony. It's a part of you saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a follower of Jesus Christ, but I have died to myself. That's where you bury with him. And I'm raised to walk in this new life, this new life that he's given me, this new life to be a follower of his, a new life to be changed by him and transformed by him. And it says, I want to tell people who I am through the testimony of baptism, through showing it to people, through saying, I am taking those next steps. And I'm investing in people's life. See, the the crazy thing that I see here is that that God has this whole disciple-making thing rigged. And he's taking this disciple-making thing and he said, all right, I want you to make disciples, but as you are making disciples, you're going to be transformed into a better disciple as well. It's going to be this constant process. And the crazy thing is, is if we pour into somebody else, our lives change. If you've seen Cars 3, that's the message of Cars 3. That while his life changes, he's pouring into somebody else and his life even changes more. He's taking what he knows and pours into somebody else and each way along the way, from Doc Hudson to Lightning Queen to, to Cruz on down. And even back up, you see it go upward as well as downward. And you see that change take place. That is what we are all about. Third thing is this, we teach the word. We share the word, we show the word, we teach the word. Where it says, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Followers of Jesus, we don't just sit in service and receive the word. We go and we reproduce the word. We go and we take it out. Right now, you guys are sponges, okay? Whatever I'm saying, I'm hopefully you're soaking it in. But here's the deal. If you've ever done dishes the old-fashioned way where you had a sponge sitting up on the counter, you ever left that sponge without wringing it out? <clears throat> what happens to it if you don't wring it out? It stinks. It gets sour. It gets sour, and anybody who touches it, it gets sour, and any of that kind of stuff like that. There are a lot of sour Christians. You've met them. Maybe you are it, okay? Here's the deal. When you've got to be squeezed and get that out and share that with everybody else, you've got to be used to clean. You've got to be used in such a way to not get sour. We have to teach. We take what we understand, and we go and we take it out. Fourth thing is this. We serve the world. We serve the world. We make disciples of all nations. That word nations, they didn't have the United Nations back then. They didn't have countries all over the place. They had a handful of nations. But nations actually here is the word for ethnic groups or people groups. We take it to the people groups. And I I wrote down some statistics here as I looked through it all. There's estimated over 11,000 people groups spread throughout the world. 6,000 of those have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a sad statistic. Over half of the people groups in the world. You know why? Because we don't go. 
We're not willing to take that step. And sometimes that people group lives across the street from us, and sometimes that people group lives across the world from us. But it doesn't matter. We don't go. We don't, we don't want to take those steps. And I, and I think about that's why I am praying today that the people of our church are willing to go, that as a faith family, as Paragon Church, we want to be a disciple, and we want to go and make disciples. We want to pour into people's lives in Rio Rancho and beyond. That, that's what I'm praying for, that, that we are reaching the people groups in our own city. As we're looking for a building, you have already probably know this because I've said it a thousand times, but I'll say it a thousand and one. One of the people groups we are going to reach out to is the special needs group because one in every five families has a child with special needs. And of those four that are left, they at least know somebody or have a relationship to somebody else with special needs. But in the church, it's very limited at best on how we reach out to them. And we know it firsthand because we have three children with special needs that they don't fit well in the service and they also don't fit well in the back classrooms. So how do we make them where the families can come and get involved and be made a disciple and then go and make disciples? Well, we offer that opportunity to serve them and love them where they are so we can send them out to go change their world. And we're looking for that as we move forward. And that's just one people group. Think of all the other people groups that are out there that that the church is failing to reach. As we met as a leadership team on Tuesday night, we were talking about this building thing. We were talking about where we are going next. And and there's one building that was kind of our our main thing. And the thing was, it's going to cost about $65,000 to really get into it and get it up to a church status. And and, uh, the guys are like, you need to ask for money. I don't mind asking for money. I really don't. I don't do it often, but I don't mind asking for money because here's what I believe. I believe that if you are wanting to be a part of something, you are going to invest in it. If you are a baseball fan and you have a baseball team, those baseball jerseys, at best, if you buy a knockoff one from China, you're still going to get one that's probably 90 bucks. You have no problem dropping 90 bucks on a shirt that looks like that. And if you go authentic, super authentic, you're talking... for a shirt, okay? But we don't have a problem with that because we want to be a part of what we're doing. We don't have a problem investing in that team or that player or whatever it is, even though they don't care about you and they don't care about your your jersey you're wearing because they're going to get traded next year to some other team. You're going to be like, I don't know what to do with this jersey now. I guess I'm going to burn it, Kevin Durant. You know, that's kind of the the thinking that that we have. And, And so we look at that and we say, I have no problem investing there. They ask for your money, you give it. So I say, we have a better thing to invest in. So I don't have a problem asking you for money. But here's the thing that I want to do. I don't want to just invest in a building. I want to invest in what that building will be the central hub of, of sending people out to change this world. That's what I want to invest in. I want to invest in the people that will be in that building to say, we are going to train you up and send you out. That's what I want to see. I want to show you some pictures here really fast, okay? This is a picture of a place called Chino Bandito. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. When I lived in Phoenix, after every Sunday church service, we went to Chino Bandito. And I'm not sure if you see it on there. It is Mexican-Chinese combos, okay? That is not something that is normal. I want to show you a picture of the meal that I ate when I took this picture because I had to go inside. This is what's called the Q711, okay? This is a jade red chicken quesadilla with with uh, a teriyaki chicken on the side and Cuban black beans and, of course, pork fried rice in there, okay? I'm getting a little hungry, getting ready to leave here in just a second, okay? I've got to drive to Phoenix here. But here's the, here's the thing about, about that. And, oh, I also want to show you a little picture of discipleship real fast. 
This is me taking my kids there so they get to understand what Chino Bandito really is and why it's so important. Here's the deal about Chino Bandito. It is in a kind of ghetto area of town. And not only is it a ghetto area of town, it's a ghetto restaurant. You go back to the picture of the food again, and you'll see the tinfoil. And as you see the tinfoil, you'll see the plastic forks and the plastic cups they give you. Such high-class things. You know what the thing is, though, why I like going there? Because the food is good. And it fills me, and it satisfies me. They don't have great lights. They don't have any smoke machines. They don't have any really cool, darkened-out rooms. You know, anytime I've ever gone to a dark, fancy restaurant, you know what I never get? A lot of food or full. I never get full. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we'll focus as a church on the lights, or we'll focus on the atmosphere, or we'll focus on the little things. But what really, absolutely matters the most, while those other things are fine, what matters the most is, is the food. What we are eating spiritually, that's what matters the most. And as we look at this, and as we say, we need to be teaching the world, we need to be teaching, sharing Christ, we need to be showing Christ, we need to be doing these things, as we look at that, how are we as a restaurant, how are we feeding people, are we more concerned about the atmosphere, or are we more concerned about what people get and what they take out of there to take on? Because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you about Chino Bandito all day long. There's other restaurants I'm not going to talk about because the food is good. And if you want to push and disciple and grow, tell them that the food, Jesus Christ, is good. And let that expand and let that grow from there. So what I want to do is I want you to know this. This book, the Bible, it never commands us to build a church building. But what it does command us to do is to go and to make disciples and to teach and to baptize and to obey. That's what it tells us to do. As we are going, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and teach them what to obey and all the commands that Christ had for us. So I want to challenge you this. Let's scatter. Let's scatter. Let's go. Let's come together to be encouraged in our, in our walk, but let's scatter. When we leave here, let's go. And you know, here's the thing that you need to understand. I asked you the question up front. Will you believe? Do you believe in the authority of Christ? The second thing is, is do you, you obey his command? But third thing is we need to understand is, do you depend on Jesus' presence? Because we can't do this alone. You know, the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we read it at Christmas time. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he should call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Guess how he ends the same book? He says, I will be with you until the very end of the age. We have to depend on his presence. We have to know that he is in our lives. We have to know that he is in the mission because this mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. This mission is based on who he is and what he's already done. We need to take that and we need to go. Together, we do it. Together, we experience the power. Together, we experience the authority. Together, we experience him and his presence in us. Let's not be a part of church that is just filled with programs and practices and has a nice, pretty building and has a great atmosphere. Let's be one that feeds good food, the food of Jesus Christ, and we make disciples because we are disciples, and that's what Jesus has called us to do. Let's believe in his authority. Let's obey his command. Let's depend on his presence. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. 
And I do pray for our church. I pray that we're not just somebody who's looking to get into a bigger building or just some place that, that we can gather together and be inward focused. Guys, let us see with your eyes. Transform our thinking. Help us understand that you have authority, not us. And that, that we are compelled to go by that authority. That you have a blank check on each and every one of our lives. And in, in this room today, if somebody threw that blank check down, God, I don't know what you're going to cash it in. You may be cashing in and say, they're going to sell everything and move to the Middle East. I don't know. But others, they might just say, you're going to break down that wall with your neighbor and you're going to go talk to him about Jesus Christ. God, you're calling each and every one of us to give our lives for your mission. We're not supposed to just sit and soak, but we're all supposed to be squeezed out and used. We're not sitting here to be comfortable, but God, make us uncomfortable. That way, when the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, He can comfort us. God, this is a message that demands a response that you've given us. God, help us to respond this morning. I pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you as God challenges you to respond. Whether that be coming to know Him, for the very first time, understanding that He is your Lord and Savior and that you will submit to Him today. Or, if you already know that, but I need to make Him the authority and I need to make Him and depend on His presence. I'll be down here in the front. church because we haven't properly cast the vision of what God called us to do. I can think as a young man that church seemed boring because it was just a place where we spent an hour of our day. And I can understand how that would seem boring if, if that's all we did. But yet Jesus called us to this amazing mission, to something far greater than we could ever be. And, and that's what we desire. That's what I think that's what fame really kind of is, is what people seek after is to be just bigger than who they really are. But that's a little bit backwards. And, and But God has called us to this amazing mission to, to change this world, to flip it upside down. And when we come at it from that perspective, I think it changes everything. And it took me a long, long time to really fully grasp that. And so, church, I, I pray for you that if you feel, if you're stuck in that place where you just kind of feel like church is boring, you're just like, ah, I could do a whole lot better things with my Sunday. I don't need to go to small group because there's just other things to do. I would challenge you to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to really just make it clear what that mission is and how awesome it, it truly is. Only then will we really truly be able to just surrender our lives to the cause of Christ. So church, will you stand with me as we sing this final song? Um, it's more of a, a prayer and a declaration.